One of the verses I've held on to for years is Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10. And it says, do not be afraid. I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Each and every one of us walk in here today, and we're desperately desiring hope in our lives. All of us have created pain. All of us have inherited pain that others have created. As we've jogged through these last five weeks looking at suffering, and the universal language is suffering, pain, we realize that not a person in this room is exempt from pain. And none of us are immune. Just because you receive Christ and you say yes to Jesus does not mean does not mean that you're immune from suffering and pain. We live in a fallen world and sin has disrupted humanity at every level. Now again, some of you walk in here today and as parents you're struggling because you see the rebellious tendencies of a child or a family member and your heart breaks. What can I do? How, how do I deal with it? And uh, it, it's pain in the soul. And uh, I hurt for you. But I want you to know that there's hope and help today. I believe, and I want you to hear me loud and clear, that one of the greatest witnesses that we have with our family, with our kids, and our desire is to bring our kids up in the way of the Lord, right? Our kid is... Our, our, our real passion is to train up this child in the way they should go so that when they get old, they will not depart. I mean, that's what we really want to do. That's what I want to do. That, 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 that's what I want to do. All kids are wired differently, but how do I train them up in the way they should go? How do I live out this faith with this child? And I believe one of our greatest witnesses is for our kids to be able to look at us and go, there's peace in their life. There's joy in mom and dad's life. Hopefully the mom and dad are there. But if not, there's peace and joy. There's love. There's unconditional love. There's this pressing into Jesus. There's this pressing into God. There's this attitude of trusting God, period, that exists that they can look and go, there's something different about my mom, about my dad. And as you walk through it, that's the greatest witness we can give them. Are we going to hurt? Yes. Are we going to struggle? Yes. Are we going to cry at times and be heartbroken? Yes. But I believe the greatest witness that we can share in our homes day in and day out is they look and go, man, they really do legitimately press into Jesus. They press into the word. They're studying to show themselves approved. Romans 10, 17. They, they see this happening with us where they're like, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Uh, their faith is being strong because they listen to the word of God. They ponder the word of God. They're, they're, they're really hanging out with Jesus and there's something going on inside of them, even in the midst of adversity and pain and storms and suffering, that's legit. That's the greatest gift that we can give to our kids. Now, how do we struggle well as parents? When you've got the prodigal, when you don't see a lot of fruit in their lives, when you feel like you've royally jacked it up and blown it. I want to give you five simple things that I want you to ponder these, please. I want you to ponder these. Number one, realize God's own children rebelled against him. How do I 
struggle well? How do I deal with the fact that my kids are living reckless in their own journey? How how do I deal with that? I've got to realize God's own children rebelled against him. God places Adam on the planet. He makes him out of dirt and he's here and he's not an infant. He's not just a little boy. He speaks maturation and fullness into existence. And so Adam is on the planet. He puts him to sleep, bam, rib, Eve. The two are hanging, they're chilling. The scripture says that they were naked and felt no shame. I mean, they were totally right before God. Everything was clean. And then all of a sudden, they chose the inferior over God. God says, you can eat off of any tree. You have the tree of knowledge, good and evil. You're going to die. They do that. What they were basically saying is, God, we don't want your way. We want our way. And they rejected God. So so if anybody was a terrible parent, again, you have to look and go, God's got two people. He can't even make them obey. No, true love is giving freedom. True love is always extending freedom, not creating robots. Adam and Eve come together. They have two boys, Cain and Abel. Cain gets ticked because Abel is honoring God, and he's not. Cain kills Abel. Now you've got three people on the planet, Adam and Eve and Cain, and they've jacked it up. And so if anyone really was messed up in regards to parenting, you would have to conclude, God, where did you go wrong? And I think... We never go there because we don't want to think God was a messed up parent and God wasn't a messed up parent. God was a loving parent, but human nature is to rebel. Left to our own doings, we will jack it up and mess it up royally. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 2. Isaiah right out of the gate says, this is what the Lord says. The children I have raised and cared for, they've turned against me. Even the animals, the donkey and the ox They know their owner and appreciate his care, but not my people Israel. No matter what I do for them, they still do not understand. What a sinful nation they are. They're loaded down with a burden of guilt. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have cut off from his help. They don't want him. They've ignored him. They've rejected him. Like I say, right out of the gate, you've got to realize that God's own children rebelled against him. And if there's any place that we can run in our pain when we're struggling with, how are our kids really doing life? It's God. He gets it. The people that he made in his image redeemed with his blood. He's willing to fill us with his Holy Spirit if we'll repent and come to him. We rebel greatly against God. God, I want my way. So we go through pain and we go through adversity and heartache and we open the doors to porn and alcoholism and drugs and all kinds of things to sedate, medicate, and God goes, I get it. I'll look at my people day in and day out, and they basically said they, they don't want me. I get it. And here's the reality. There's not a perfect, perfect parent in this room right now. You, you've messed it up. You've jacked it up. You've done things you wish you could have had a mulligan and, and do over. None of us have done everything right. Even if our hearts were there, we've still messed it up a little bit here and there. But I think God is crying out to you today to say, there's hope for you. The rest of your life can be the best of your life if you will trust me and press into me and press into my word and and really long for me. There's still going to be pain, but but I'm with you. I get your pain. I get your heartache when those around you are rebelling. And I think a lot of people... 
If they're not careful, and I've seen people hurt and hurt and hurt because of the rec- reckless uh, behavior of their kids. I've seen a lot of people, man, just live a life of defeat because they feel like they've blown it. And God don't, he, he don't want you to be there. Now, God wants us to train up our children in the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart. And that, that's something we've got to do. We've got to create a thirst in their mouth. And we've got to find out how is this child wired? And what can I do to really lead this kid in the way they should go? I mean, I, that's what we've got to do. It's not my job to tell them that I want you to be like me. It's my job to come alongside them and find out how they're wired so that they can be fully alive with who they are. I mean, our five kids, I mean, all three of my boys, I look at them, and I played baseball, and I love baseball, and I'm like, yes. When Benji was born, I'm like, he's three months old. Put that baseball and glove in that crib where he can start playing with it right now. We got to train him up in the way he should go. And he was left-handed, and I put a right-handed glove, so that didn't work, so I had to learn a lot of stuff with him. But I, I remember working with Benji. It's so crazy. I'll tell you this. This is so funny. I was going to teach him how to hit when he was two years old. And two years old, I mean, you got to start them somewhere, so come on. So I take sidewalk chalk, and I'm in our driveway, and I draw a little home plate, and I draw a couple little marks, and I put his feet there, and I I put the bat in his hand, and I said, Daddy's going to throw you the ball, dude, and smoke it. Come on. And the first time I threw him the ball, he throws his hands here and swings that way, and I'm like, what is he doing? Throw it to him again. He puts his hands there and swings the other way, and I'm like, hold on, dude. Let's get on this side of the plate. He might be left-handed. I wasn't anticipating that. Put the bat in his hand first time I throw him the ball. I'm like, yes, he's left-handed. That was him. Jesse got it. All of a sudden, the last little dude, Caleb, comes on the scene. And he's like, I don't like baseball. I'm like, you don't like baseball? He goes, it's too boring. It's kind of boring. That's the reason I pitched. I was in control. And you, could get... you don't want to play? No, what do you want to play? I've been... St- like watching videos, Dad, on lacrosse. You want to play lacrosse? Yeah, you get to hit people. You get to run up and down the field. You don't just stand there at third and hope maybe one out of 21 outs comes your way. I want to play lacrosse. And I'm like, all right, let's play lacrosse. So he's playing lacrosse, and I'm like, check him out. He's having fun, right? How is he bent? He's bent different. So when Caleb was 11, he got into all this kind of uh, woodworking things. And so he's got a skill saw a jigsaw, a miter saw. He's got a sawzall. He's got an air compressor with a nail gun. He's got two impact drills. I'm I'm telling you, the other day for his 13th birthday, he wanted like some biscuit joiner. I thought that was jelly. I didn't know there was a tool called that. (laughs) He's got all this stuff, right? And he's making like pallet coffee tables and all this. And I'm like, bring him up in the way he should go. And Benji was talking to his mom a few weeks ago, and he says, I got a question for you. Like, looking at Caleb and looking at us and looking at Hannah and Caleb, he's like, I got to ask you a question. And she's like, sure. He said, did y'all try harder with them? (laughs) And I laughed, right? But when you talk about parenting, how are they wired? How are they wired? Is there a chance they still may be uh, a little rebellious yeah. Will it hurt you and break your heart when, when they seem to drift and not honor God? Yeah. But you've got to realize God had kids that rebelled. And the safest place you can go and struggle well is going to be with God. Here, here's number two. Paul 
that God used to write the majority of the New Testament called himself the worst sinner on the planet. Paul had studied underneath Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the most brilliant minds of that day. Paul got all this great learning. And Paul concludes after his reckless behavior, Rick, he goes, I'm the worst sinner on the planet. First Timothy 1, I get this. Starting in verse 12, he goes, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and there's a lot of us, we, we would be wise to take that text and personalize it to say, even though I was a drunk or self-righteous or I, I had terrible language and lust issues, and even though I was, as Chris would say, I mean, here I am just pounding vodka and Sprite in my office and doing the work of the Lord. Even though I was that, I was shown mercy. Mercy is the kindness and compassion to God being extended to us when we're living in misery. What happened to you, Cash? I got ambushed by the mercy of God. I got grace by the God that made me when I was a fool, when I was ignorant, when I was acting in unbelief. He says, the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. And with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus, man, God just dumped all this mercy and grace on me. It is a trustworthy statement of deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm the chief and foremost of all. I, I think that's where God uses us is when we get to the place to go, I, I'm, I'm the chief of corruption, I've colored outside the lines. I've really messed it up. And God in his kindness pursued me. God don't use me because I'm strong. God uses me when I become broken, weak, where he gets the glory. As I said last week, God seems to use those that limp a lot more than he uses those who strut. When we're struggling with life and we reach that place of brokenness, God goes, I, I can do something with you now. And here's the reality in this room. We all know somebody that has totally jacked it up and you go, I, I know somebody. Or we are that somebody that we know that the redemptive work of Christ can really happen and restore you. Chris, it was so beautiful listening. I can't imagine the pain of your mom and dad. I mean, here you are, man. You come out of high school and you go to college and you eventually go to Liberty and you're up there. And I mean, it's all of a sudden like our son is in Bible college. And you said even when you were not drinking, you were still a dry drunk. You were not a sober person that was trusting the identity of Christ. And, and then all of a sudden you, you get this beautiful little girl, Sherry, to marry you. And all of a sudden she's like, yes, I met this guy at Christian college. And before you know it, her world is spinning upside down because of your alcoholism. And then you're in rehab for an entire year and you end up staying there another couple of years to help minister and, and trying to figure it out. And Sherry, praise God, you stayed in there with him, baby. I had a girl. But we're the chief of sinners. And you, you, know, you know, Jesus said, I came to seeking to save that which was lost. And, and who gets found? Lost people. He didn't say I came to make bad people good. He came to make lost people found. And I had to come to the realization I'm lost and I desperately need you to save me. Nick and I shared last week we could go chief of sinners, yeah. Worst of sinners, yeah. Yeah. But we live in this world that wants to rank sin and go, well, I'm not that bad. I mean, look at Dahmer and some of these other cats, man. My sins, your sin's jacked up just as worse. 
and bad as anybody else's. And we have to come to that realization that Satan would like nothing more than to load you down with guilt and shame and keep you stuck in your past. But when you go, you know what? It's okay for me to own what Paul said. Hey, hey, I was a jacked up sinner, man, and I needed grace and mercy and deliverance and salvation. So as we parent, we have to realize that nothing is impossible with God. With man, this is, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God can change anyone. And Paul gives as a living testimony, look at me. Look, 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 look at me. Look at where I was and what I did. And I think God uses us again as trophies of grace where man cannot get credit. You'll hear people say that at times, my brother. People will say, oh, man, you got to listen to this podcast or you got to go listen to this dude speak. You go wherever you want to go. If the Holy Spirit hasn't ambushed your heart and you're not willing to repent and surrender to Jesus Christ, even Jesus told the, the guys, Lazarus, rich man, and just send somebody over there and tell my bros, man, what the score is. And he said, if somebody raises from the dead, they won't even listen to him. And he was talking about himself. And reality is, if you're alive today and you've got breath, you are a candidate for the supernatural work of Christ. It would be a third thing. Paul, yeah, he was the chief of sinners. Yeah, God has, himself had children that rebelled. Here's something I've had to learn as I walk with this uh, concept through life with other people. Focus on delighting in the Lord instead of focusing on the rebellious behavior of your kids. A lot of times it is so easy to get attached to their rebellion. You don't see any fruit. You don't see any movement. You don't see any growth. But if we can ever learn to focus and delight in the Lord, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I cannot become codependent upon their behavior. Their behavior is not an accurate indicator of how they were raised. Now, for some people, yes. But when kids have been brought up in the word and brought up in the truth and brought up being prayed over and they choose to sow their wild oats during their college days, that is not an accurate indicator of parenting. Adam and Eve were not an accurate indicator of the heart of God. The nation of Israel was not an accurate indicator. And I've seen a lot of parents get so defeated because instead of delighting in the Lord, they start to empower the reckless behavior of their kids. And Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. And the more I delight in the goodness of God, the more I press into Jesus. God, you're good. You're calling me to be more conformed and transformed daily in my journey. My heart hurts, but I want to struggle well. Then get your eyes off their behavior and get your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. The author and the perfecter of our faith. I got I to focus on the king. Because I think a lot of us oftentimes we almost allow our definition to be how others around us are living. Yeah. And, and we're pouring our hearts into athletes years ago. And I'll never forget when my one buddy, his wife, decided she would rather be with the guy 10 years younger than him. And she bolts. And my heart broke, and I was like, man, I hurt so bad for him. And then a couple years later, this one girl, another player's wife, decided she didn't want to be married. She wanted to be with this other girl. And Barb goes, we failed, and what we're teaching us, I said, no, we haven't. 
No, we, no, no, we haven't. That one over there got it, and that one over there said no. If we failed in our, in our discipleship approach, then God failed, and God has not failed. God is good. And if the behavior of other people and the reckless tendencies of other people is an indicator, then if you're motivated by praise, you'll always be deflated by criticism. It has to be obedience to the Word of God every day. And I'm like, God, it breaks my heart but I'm going to delight in you and not the behavior of my offspring or those around me. You know, as well as I do, there's been people in our church, even in the last three months and six months, that totally walked away from their families. And it's a head scratcher. You sit there and you go, why would they do that? And their spouses would say, they've sat here and they've listened to the word and they've been affiliated with the Holy Spirit's power and promptings and then they would just choose to go live a a life of selfish gratification. Like, yeah. And, and, And that's the crazy thing in what we do. You can have one person here, like my buddy Richard, I look at him, Clinton, and I'm like, man, this dude's been saved for three years and he's devoured it. And there's other people that have been sitting there for 20 years and they're still sucking Gerbers. They can't even eat a piece of spiritual meat. And you go, what happened? He, 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 he got serious about it. That one was okay with checking the box. And it's not okay to check the box. Let's ante it up. Let's get serious about it. Here would be my fourth thing. Allow your heartache for your children to become your heart for all lost people. Nick had a friend that shared with him recently that my one son occupies the majority of my prayer time. No, no, no. I get it. We want to see our offspring walk with the Lord. We want to see our offspring fired up for the gospel. But when you get a big picture and you're able to see every person on the planet as a creation of God and your heart starts to bleed for everybody to know the the gospel, then you're going to start to really come alive. The old Baptist saying years ago, it's my four and no more. I just care about my family. Then you don't know the gospel. You don't know the gospel. You don't get the gospel. Because we're to be living out our faith in our home, at the kitchen table, what we watch on TV, what we listen to, what we read, and we're to be living it out at work and at school, and when we go to the gym and all these other places, we're to be be living it out wherever we're at. And when our heart starts to break and bleed for lost people, like we do our own family members, then we're starting to live a life of compassion toward God's creation. Come on. There's people in your world right now that are lost. And some of you are so occupied with just your your, your child or your brother or your sister or a family member. But when that passion becomes for all people, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see them wayward. It breaks my heart to see them sticking a needle in their arm. It breaks my heart to see them continue to intoxicate themselves with wine, vodka, or whatever their drug of choice is. Jesus wants you to know he loves you. He's not ticked off at you. He wants to redeem you. He wants to restore you. And we have people in this church 
that never share the good news of the gospel with anybody, yet I'm a Christian. How? How's that working? How's that working? You never share the good news of the gospel with anybody? They'll know you by your fruit. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Who's that for? Everybody? And people that have sat in church for three years and five years and 20 years, well, what are you doing? This is the challenge to you. What are you doing? Schmack and I were talking earlier. We're kind of looking at this uh, college-age group. It's like, yeah. But if we're training them in middle school, and if we're training them in high school with a discipleship culture, creating another Bible study where people can sit and soak is not the agenda. When I got saved in 1985 and started getting to the, into the Word, I go back to spring training in March of 1986. All I knew was I had a Bible, KJV and an NIV at that time, and I had a few worship cassettes. Cassettes, young generation. I'll show you what that is one day. <laughs> Nick was talking about VHSs last week. Cassettes, baby. That's right. I know y'all got all this new technology. But I go back to spring training, and I'm like, man, I'm on fire. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to know Jesus. And I'm, I'm getting into the Word. And I tell these guys, hey, hey, y'all want to do a Bible study? Because they're looking like, dude, what happened to you? You're raising hell. You're chasing skirt. You're drinking like a fish last year. You come in here. Your language is clean. You're, you're, you're talking a new terminology. What happened to you? And I said, I met Jesus. And I sat down, and all I knew was about John 3.16. I didn't have a wealth of Bible knowledge, but I could say, hey, man, this is what happened to me. I, I didn't need nobody to tell me what to do. I had the Holy Spirit living inside of me. A Holy Spirit is a better teacher than what you're going to find on cassette. The Holy Spirit was inside and said, go tell that guy how good I am. You got it? So it started. Did you have a script? I didn't even know what a script was. I had the person of the Holy Spirit. Go share. You got it. Started having a heart for other people. People you would meet, you would share with them. One of the 18-year-old we baptized today, Jesse baptized his shortstop seven weeks ago. Today we baptized the second baseman. He asked Jesse, hey, hey, you think I could sit down with you and your dad and talk? Jesse goes, absolutely. He comes over five weeks ago on a Sunday night, and he sits there, tears flowing, repents. I want to surrender to Jesus. Jesse, go live it out, dude. You don't need no script. You need passion in your heart. And we got to get passionate that people are lost and dying and going to hell. I talked about death a couple weeks ago. There was a dude on Wednesday, his wife was in this church and they got married a few years back and she ended up going with him he was part of a worship team in this other church phenomenal guy phenomenal girl wednesday afternoon about 1 30 or whatever she hears something bam hit the kitchen floor and goes in 36 years old a little four-year-old and a little one-year-old left behind massive heart attack and dies and praise God that brother Danny knew the Lord. Praise God he was walking with Jesus. But we see people every day 
Do we ever share the hope of the gospel? Do we ever dive into the word? I'm staying here for a little bit. I'm staying here. I'm up there in Rome with these guys this week. This is heart talk, soul talk. Jeff Bramlett. Jace Vines. Some of these guys. I'm talking to them. Walker Scheller. I'm talking to them. Bramlett came out of Alabama. Got drafted by the Royals last year. He goes, they kept me in extended spring this year. And I was like, man, I wanted to make a team out of camp. And he was like, why, why am I having to stay here? He said, three days into being in extended spring. Rex Hill, a kid out of TCU, had given his life to Jesus. And he looks at Benji and goes, Benji, it's time for me to surrender. So Benji prays with Rex to surrender to Christ. And he goes, where do I start? I don't even know how to make sense of the word. He goes, let's go through Matthew. That's where you're going to start. He goes, I'll walk into the room one night. He said, they'd been in a conversation for about a half hour. He goes, he's breaking down Matthew to this dude. He goes, I'm sitting there going, I don't know the word. I've been around church. I grew up in a Baptist flavored thing. I've been going to a church over here in Birmingham. He goes, and I sat there and listened to Benji talk to this dude, Rex. He said, I called my mom and dad and said, I don't know the word. He said, then we met two nights later, and Benji's like, guys, there's 12 or 14 of us. We're going through the book of Romans. That made me so happy to know that my stinking boy is serious about his faith. Who's going to live it out? He don't need seminary. He needs the Holy Spirit. He don't need to read five more books before he's ready. He needs to be serious about what God says. And some of, oh man, I'm about to get jacked in here. But some of us need to get serious about what God says. If we were serious about reaching Loganville and beyond, the place would be packed in here five services a day. It would. My man Esposito, he's all nuts about the gospel and evangelism, but he sent a thing the other day that made me laugh. He's like, I'm writing a book on evangelism instead of it being just something on, you know, how to get serious about evangelism. He said, I'm going to title it, How to Become a Christian Millionaire, and hopefully people will read it, but still the content's all going to be about evangelism. I said, well, go on and write it, brother. But the problem is not whether we read it. The problem is whether we really believe it or are going to implement it. So I hurt for people whose kids are wayward, but I hurt for people. I hurt when you're having these conversations at 12 o'clock at night with some of these young 21-year-old guys and they're trying to figure it out. It's like that matters. And I was thinking this morning during our, our first service of prayer time, I was up here praying, I'm like, I, I don't share this because I get paid to do it. I share it because it's true and it's who I am. That's the assignment. Come on. I have more fun when I don't use notes anyway. All right, I want to wrap it up. I want you to be mindful. I'm not dogging you. I'm not mad. I just believe every person that claims to be a follower of Jesus ought to be walking with Jesus. Go figure. 
I believe every person that says that Christ is king and Lord of their lives should live in such a way that he's the king and Lord of their lives. I believe that when he says study to show yourself approved as a workman, I just believe that he said study and so I did it. He, he don't take the smartest people. He, t- he takes the most obedient people and the most broken people and the most surrendered people. And he goes, I can, I can use you as a donkey to give divinity a ride. Yeah. So big donkey out in Arizona. Hey, listen. You got real about your faith about three years ago? Just go live it out. He don't text me and go, what do you think I should do? Ask the Holy Spirit. You got God inside of you. He trumps daddy, okay, bro? You got God with you. Go live it out. Fifth point. So you're struggling through this as a parent, right? You want to see your kids get it. Keep praying. Keep seeking the heart of God. Pray without ceasing. Knock and keep on knocking. Ask and keep on asking. Believe God for the supernatural. They've got a will. I understand that. But Lord, I pray for them in the name of Jesus. And and I've had these conversations with, with friends and family members. You know, I used to share with you pretty much all your life about the gospel. And you've kind of wandered from it. But let me tell you something. I haven't stopped talking, but I used to talk to you about God. But I can tell you over the last three months, I've just been talking to God about you. I'm still talking. I'll share with you until God goes, stop, just just back off. I don't need you. And a lot of times I think we, we try to convince those that we're sharing with what they need and God goes quit talking to them about me and start talking to me about them and trust that I can bring it which means you got to stay on your knees and you got to stay in the prayer closet and and you got to really seek God You wake up in the morning, it's like, I don't know where you're going to lead. I don't know who I'm going to connect with today. But I pray in the name of Jesus, I would have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Spirit of the Lord's saying. Yes, study, be prepared. But I'll give you words to say when you get to that place. Study, pray it up, be ready. Yeah. I want to struggle well with you. But, but, but. Just, just don't sit around and say you're a, you're a child of the king and the king means everything to you when you never talk about the king. And when you never talk to the king, stop the nonsense. It's a contradiction of logic. If he means everything to you, which I hope he does, you'll go into Loganville and beyond and say, man, I, I, I got to tell my world about how good my God is. Thank you for joining us for the teaching here at the Cross Loganville. Let me encourage you to access our website, thecrossloganville.org. Tons of information uh, will answer many of your questions. Maybe you've been pondering what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ, or maybe just uh, some other issues you're going through and you're like, uh, I I need to talk to someone. We would love to help you. Contact us via email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us at 770 five five four three three two two god bless you make it a great day